We um, we enjoyed uh, Pastor Barry last week, and um, as he shared on a number of different things, um, revival, um, suffering, and also um, on prayer. And uh, but this week we're going to return to our series, and uh, the boys are still working on our our slideshow. Thanks, guys. Uh, and we're up to number six of our um, seven feasts. And it is the Feast of Atonement. And so we're going to look at that this morning. And um, so if you've got your Bibles, turn to where? Leviticus, where do we find them? 23, praise the Lord. And we're going to read uh, about the Day of Atonement. Leviticus 23, 26 says, The Lord said to Moses, The tenth day of this seventh month is the Day of Atonement. Hold a sacred assembly and deny yourselves and present an offering made to the Lord by fire. I've really been enjoying this, uh, this series and I, and I hope that you've been gaining something from them. I've been receiving a lot of positive feedback about it um, and, and especially how we can see that you know, even as Jesus said, all my promises are yes and amen in, in Christ. Okay, all my promises, not some, not it depends on whether the sun is shining or it's raining or whether it's, it's winter or summer, but all my promises are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. And we know that to be true because we see an example of them and that we see that in these feasts there are promises to come. There are promises that, that God is revealing and you know, in a, in a small way, they're, they're a bit cryptic, but as we see their fulfillment in Christ, we just go, you know what, should have seen that, you know, and, that, and that's what it is, even when we receive prophetic words, you know, God is not fortune telling, he's not getting out the, the crystal ball, you know, the prophet is not getting out the crystal ball and gazing into the, the vast, you know, wonders of the universe, but he's actually preparing and proclaiming a promise in your life that when it actually happens, you, you say, you know what? God's just faithful. God is true. And God, all his promises are yes and amen. And so we see this in the feast, that when we, we understand um, the, the feast themselves and then we understand how Jesus uh, fulfilled the feast and is going to fulfill some of the feasts, you know, hope rises. Hope rises because we just say, you know what? God's done it before. He's going to do it again. He's going to, he said yes to this promise, and I know that this promise is going to be yes as well. And so, you know, if you're sitting there this morning, and, and you know, you just know that God's made a promise for you in your life, you just stand on that. You just stand on that because you know that, and that it will come true, that it is a yes in Christ Jesus. Okay? Now, if it's a if it's a promise for a you know a yellow Lamborghini Diablo, well you know they're not the kind of promises I'm talking about. <laughs> Sorry to burst your bubble, all right. But there are promises that God has put into your life that you need to stand upon, and you need to just say, you know what, God, it's in your timing. I want it now, but you know when it's best. And so I pray that even in, as we're studying these feasts you'll get that sense of assurity in the promises of God. So the atonement, the day of atonement. Atonement means to repair. It means to make right something that was wrong. Can you say that with me? To make right 
something that was wrong. And so on the Day of Atonement, God was saying, you know what? I'm going to make, some, I'm going to make right what has gone wrong. And we know what went wrong, don't we? If you're not sure, go and read Genesis 3. Something went terribly wrong there. Trust is... Anyway. And so when we look at the Day of Atonement, we see that God has actually made something right in our life. And he will make something right in the days to come. The Day of Atonement, as we, we see in the prophetic sense of, of the timeline of... Um, of events to come actually relates more to the nation of Israel than it does to the believers of Jesus Christ. And we know that the first four feasts, Passover, unleavened bread, um, first fruits and weeks, were fulfilled in Christ's first coming, and that the trumpets, atonement, and, um, and tabernacles will be at Christ's second coming. And we know that. And we know that, you know, for those of us that are saved in Christ Jesus, it will still be a wonderful time. We saw in trumpets that when the day of trumpet is fulfilled in Christ, it will be a glorious and great day. A glorious and great day. And that's something to look forward to. And so the first time Jesus came, he came as what? The Savior. One to lay down his life as we heard in communion, the one who was offered in our place. And that's what, just, that's what got the Israelites scratching their head. They thought, you know what? I thought the Messiah was supposed to conquer, was supposed to release us from captivity, was supposed to you know, come in here, kick some Roman butt, and we could get on with our, with our life. And that's why they missed him the first time. But the second time, when he comes back, He's coming back as the all-conquering king, amen? Riding on his horse, leading his armies, and he is coming back to put something into place. Hallelujah. And so it is a great and glorious day for the church of God. And in Romans 11.25, it says this, I want you to understand this mystery, dear brothers and sisters, so that you will not feel proud and start bragging. Okay, so Paul is writing to the Christians here, okay, the church. He says, Some of the Jews had hard hearts, but this will last only until the complete number of Gentiles comes to Christ. Okay, so we've been talking about this, that when the trumpet blows, that age comes to a close. The church age comes to a close and the door is closed for the Gentiles to come to Christ. And so Paul is talking about this. When the complete number of Gentiles comes to Christ, then it shuts. And in verse 26 he says, And so all Israel will be saved. In verse 30 he goes on to say, Once you Gentiles were rebels against God, and when the Jews refused his mercy, God was merciful to you instead. And now in the same way, the Jews are the rebels and God's mercy has come to you. But someday they too will share in God's mercy. And in Zechariah 12, 9 and 10, he says, On that day I will set out to destroy all the nations that attack Jerusalem. And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. 
and they will look on me, the one they have pierced. Okay, who's that talking about? Jesus. And they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. These scriptures are going to make a lot more sense as we continue on this morning. Um, But first I want to actually go back into history. For some reason my glasses keep slipping this morning. Um, So let's go back to Leviticus 23 and see what the Day of Atonement meant, okay, and how it was, um, you know, just um, uh, celebrated each year. And that gives us an idea of how it will come about and what will happen on the day when Jesus comes back. So you're there at Leviticus 16. So if you're taking notes, you're going to look around Leviticus 16.29 and Leviticus 23.27. Now the Day of Atonement, we saw that there's a 10-day period. And it started with the Feast of Trumpets. We learnt that a couple of weeks ago. The Feast of Trumpets. Who remembered that? Okay. Um, And so the Feast of Trumpets started a 10-day period. Those days, that 10-day period was known as the Days of Awe. Okay. You say that with me? The Days of Awe. Days of Awe. A-W-E. Awe. Not O-A-R. Okay. Days of awe. Remembering that the first of the month was the Feast of Trumpets, and now it is day 10 of the seventh month, which is the Day of Atonement. And we see that in those two scriptures I talked to you about before, Leviticus 16, 29 and 23, 27. You can look that up in a moment. And the Day of Atonement was a day, it was a feast like no other for the year. It was a day when every person could come before the Lord. Every Israelite could come before the Lord and bring their sin to Him. And He would remove it for them. It was like they, um, they had a bucket, okay? So just imagine they had a bucket. Some people might think they need bigger buckets than the rest. But they had a bucket, not literally, figuratively. And through those 10 days, from the first of the seventh month to the 10th of the seventh month, they were to reflect upon their their year. They were to look back over their year. They were to look back over their life, what they had done, what they had not done. And they were to fill up their bucket. They were to put all their wrongdoings in their bucket, all the things that went wrong throughout the year, throw it in the bucket. Every wrong word, guess where it went? In the bucket. Every wrong action, where did it end up? In the bucket. Those 10 days were days of reflection, days of awe, when they would sit and contemplate and just be in awe of God and all that He was to them and think to themselves, this is where I have fallen short. So guess where I'm putting it? In the bucket. And on the Day of Atonement, you could just imagine. Now, this is not literal, okay, guys? Don't go around telling fibs that I've told you that people carried buckets on the Day of Atonement. But I'm trying to give you a picture here, right? A picture that they came 
into the meeting place with all their sin, all their guilt, all of their hardness of heart in that bucket and they were to present it to the Lord. A beautiful picture. And as they took it to the temple and as they gave it to the high priest, guess what God did? He emptied the bucket. He emptied the bucket. Through a set of ceremonial rituals, God emptied the bucket and they could start afresh. What a glorious picture. You know, sometimes we look at the Old Testament and we think God was judgmental, God was harsh. You know, all this punishment coming upon people in the Old Testament. But here we see God's grace and mercy. We see the people. You know, often um, you know, religious people would cut themselves, you know, to try and appease their God. They would sacrifice um, their children in a hope of, of appeasing their God. They will go through all these religious uh, rituals just in a hope that they would appease an angry God. But the question, the age-old question is, when is enough enough? How many cuts is enough to appease an angry God? How many children have to be sacrificed in fire to appease an angry God? You can never draw the line. And here on the Day of Atonement, God was saying, just give it to me. Just give it to me and I'll deal with it. We see a beautiful picture, even in the Old Testament, of God's grace. He's saying, okay, guys, the the perfection that I required, you've fallen short another year. I I, I wanted this standard. You guys are coming about here. Some of you are getting close, but some of you are really far away. You ever feel like that? God never demands anything less than perfection, even today. But he said, you know what? You can't do it, so just bring it to me. Bring your shortfalls to me. Bring all your wrongs doing to me, and I will deal with it. What was the holiest day of the year for the nation of Israel was actually not something. God did not actually expect anything from them. He was actually going to give a gift to them. What a glorious picture of our God, amen? He was going to give them a fresh start, a new beginning. You see, when we look at it in this context, we see in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight. Paul, give us some words of wisdom about when we take communion. And he says this, A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. But if we judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment. When we know what Jesus has done for us, I don't know about you, but I'm in awe. I'm in awe for what he has done for me. And it is only right that I reflect upon that. 
And that every time I take communion, I look back over that week or whatever it is. And I just say, Lord, I've fallen short in this area. It's not a sense of condemnation. It's not a sense of trying to, you know, dig up guilt and, you know, wail and all that sort of stuff. It's just a matter of saying, Lord, I know what you have done for me. And that in my shortcomings, you have made me right. And that's what atonement is, isn't it? It is making right what is wrong. And this is what God has done for this for us. You see, this is personal. The day of atonement for the Israelites was personal. They needed to reflect on their own life. They needed to present themselves before the assembly. They needed to ensure they didn't work on that day. And the work of Jesus on the cross must be personal for us. We can't send someone else to the cross for ourselves. If it isn't personal for us, if Jesus, our Savior, is not our Savior, and you know what, that was my mum and dad, they were Christians, you know, I'll be right. I'm sorry, it's not right. Needs to be personal or else it doesn't apply. The day you accept the atoning sacrifice of Jesus, it's a new beginning. You have been made a brand new person. Can I hear an amen? Okay. The old has gone, the new has come. There's a second point to the Day of Atonement. And that is there were two goats involved. One was a sin offering, okay, and the other was called a scapegoat. And it's where we get the term scapegoat in our modern language. It's when you make something else, you know, guilty uh, in your place. The Hebrew is Azazel. Can you say that with me? Azazel. Say it again. Azazel. And it means to take him away. That's what Azazel means. Take him away. And that's what the name of this goat was. Azazel. In other words, we're going to lay all our sin upon this poor goat and they're going to take him away. And when he goes, our sin goes with him. What happened in a nutshell was that the priest would lay hands on the goat, symbolizing the impartation of sin. And then one was sacrificed to God and the other was taken away into the desert, signifying the removal of sin from the people. If you read John 19.25, it's interesting that at the trial of Jesus, these very words are are recorded. And I don't think it's coincidental, people, that when Pilate asked, what shall I do with this man? They cried out, Azazel. They didn't speak English, okay? They spoke Hebrew. They said, Azazel, which means take him away. When Pilate said, what should I do with this man? They said, take him away. John 19.25 tells us that those were the words. They yelled it out again and again. Jesus became the scapegoat. We know that. 
There's also another point I want to touch on just very quickly. The Day of Atonement is called Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur. Yom means day, okay? Yom equals day. That's simple. And Kippur has four consonants in it. K-P-P-R. K is signified in uh, diagrammatical terms as a hand. All right? We can see it there. It's just That's the symbol. It doesn't look like a hand, but that's the symbol, all right? And it can often mean a covering. All right? The hand. P means an open mouth, as if to speak. All right? And since it's twice... It actually means to talk loud, to shout. And the R denotes the head. Denotes the head, the top person, the head of the house. And so in other words, Yom Kippur means something like this. A day when a covering is spoken loudly by the highest person. That's good, isn't it? And one more thing. When we think of sin, we tend to think of it as everything we do wrong. But actually, sin in the Old Testament is described in three ways. The first is iniquity. All right? Iniquity. Remember that word. Who's ever heard of the word iniquity? Okay. Iniquity. It means that something grabs your attention, grabs your eye. All right, so a pretty lady walks past and the men go, oh, okay. Grabbed your eye. All right. That's iniquity. You might think, well, I'm just admiring God's creation. Yeah, maybe, but that's no justification. All right. Iniquity is something that grabs your attention and it starts to get bigger on the inside. Okay? So I gave you that example of a beautiful woman. You dwell on it. This leads to sin. That's the second word. Okay? Sin. That's when you start to create a different set of boundaries. You're doing something your own way, not God's way. You start to justify the way you think and saying, well, you know what? God didn't really say that. He didn't really mean that. I can stretch that a bit here. Or I can bend that a little bit there. No, that is sin. That is sin. And so now your mind begins to lust after this woman that has caught your eye. That is sin. The third is transgression. And transgression is when your own perception becomes reality and you act upon the lusts of the mind. And so in Isaiah 53, 5, when it says, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we are healed. What Jesus has actually done He's not only taken away our sin, but he's taken away our iniquities and our transgressions.
How glorious is the grace of God. Not only our actions, but our wrong thoughts. I don't know about you, but that is amazing grace. He has made right those things that were wrong because of the cross. So you're starting to think now, well, hang on a sec. If Jesus fulfilled, became the scapegoat at his death, then how can this be a prophetic feast for his second coming? Well, here's the thing. A lot of times in the prophetic sense, there is a double fulfillment. Okay, so a lot of things were fulfilled when Jesus came, but there is still future fulfillment to happen, uh, obviously, in the future. Which brings us back to our, our two scriptures that we uh, shared before, Romans 11.25. I want you to understand this mystery, dear brothers and sisters, so that you will not feel proud and start bragging. Okay, he's talking to us. Some of the Jews had hard hearts, but this will last until the complete number of Gentiles comes to Christ. Yes, the day of atonement was fulfilled by Christ when he came to earth the first time. He became the scapegoat for our sins, our iniquities, our transgressions. But since the Jews re- rejected him, Paul says earlier in Romans 11 that they were cut off. And the Gentiles were grafted into the rootstock. We read that, don't we, in Romans 11. If you haven't read that, then read that scripture and you'll see how that happens. But the nation of Israel will not be forgotten by their father. Okay? Which is why it says a day is coming when the harvest of the Gentiles comes to completion. The trumpet will be sounded. The dead who are in Christ will rise. And those that are alive at the time will all come together as a church to meet their bridegroom. And this is when Jesus will again set foot on the Mount of Olives and the Day of Atonement will be fulfilled for the Jews and they will come to repentance as was prophesied in Zechariah where they will look upon the one they had pierced and they will mourn. You see, when we come to repentance, we mourn, don't we? There is a sorrow, there is a grieving within us because we come to the knowledge that we are not what God wanted from us. Our life, we have lived it our own way. We have not lived it according to God's purpose and plans. But when we come to repentance, there is that that shift. And that's what repentance means, a change of thinking. There is a grieving within us and we say, I'm going to turn things around and I'm going to follow God's way. And this is what will happen. There will be no... No ambiguity, there will be no you know, misunderstandings. When Jesus comes back the next time as the all-conquering king, everyone, as Philippians 2 says, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess, Jesus is Lord. What a day to look forward to, amen? You see, the day of atonement ushers in a time when Jesus will wage war on everyone, And anyone, whether human or spirit, that stands opposed to him and the fullness of his kingdom. Sin is an enemy of God and he will deal with it, we are told, with an iron rod. He will be king. He will rule and reign, people. 
and we will rule and reign with him. These are the promises of God. There is a time coming. Satan will be locked up. There will be a thousand years where Jesus rules and reigns on this earth. And every knee, every tongue will give witness to the Lordship of Jesus. When does this time happen? We don't set the dates and the times. Only the Lord knows. But let me say this one thing. We need to be ready. We need to be ready. You see, we can get all excited about the second coming of Christ. But there's two things it will point to. One, it will fulfill the hope that we have. And secondly, it reminds us of the the holiness that is found in Jesus Christ that we have. Hope and holiness. And this is what we've got to look forward to. On the Day of Atonement, when Jesus comes back again to make right that which which was wrong, and he will bring to fulfillment all those things that he has placed under his care. But like I said before, and let me finish with this, it needs to be personal. It needs to come from you. You can't come before the Lord on someone else's faith. It just it doesn't work like that, people. It doesn't matter what it, you've been told anywhere else. The Bible is very clear. It has to be personal. And if you have not made it personal for yourself, then you need to do that right now. As Paul would say, Therefore, I beg you, in light of what you have just heard, is there any reasonable argument to come against the whole notion that you must give your life to Christ? Because you see, when this stuff starts to unfold, you will know. You will know that what he says is true. And so we're going to just allow time for you right now. If you could just bow your heads as we pray. If you've never come to Christ, then I, I give you the opportunity this morning. If you have never made him Lord and Savior of your life, then that opportunity is for you right now. Because God is reaching out with arms wide open. He wants to embrace you. He wants to take you in. He wants to see that those things that are wrong in your life are now made right. And that you are a brand new creature. A brand new creation. You've got your bucket full. You know what's wrong in your life. You know where you've fallen short of God's perfect standard. This is your opportunity to bring that bucket to him and say, Lord, I give them to you. Empty it out for me by the cross of Jesus. Give me a new start. I'm looking for a new start. And you know what? It doesn't matter what you've done. God can give you a new start. So why don't you do that right now as we finish off in prayer. If that's you, if you want to make that commitment to Christ, just stand in your seat right now. Just as an act of faith and I'll pray with you.
And you know what? God will come and flood your life. And you'll know that there is something different. You'll know that you have been made brand new. So let's pray as we finish off. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for all that you give us. Thank you, Lord, that what was wrong in our life you have made right. Lord, where we have fallen short, you have lifted us up. Lord, those things that we are aware of in our life, I know that when we come to you, you, Lord, deal with it. So, Lord, I pray with those that are standing right now. I thank you, Lord, that there is a fresh start in their life. Lord, there is something new. There is a freshness, Father. There is just an opportunity to just start to live the plans and purposes that you have laid out in their life. So, Lord, I thank you in the name of Jesus that we can be made aware of this even this morning by your Spirit and that, Lord, it takes, we take it to heart and make it real in our life. These things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you all. God bless you all. I thank you that...